The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. I want to pray for us. If we all just take a moment and bow our heads. Lord Jesus, you are good. Father, that is that's an amazing story just to see your hand in someone else's life. Father, to see your goodness through the Manly family and how it's just brought joy to them. But I've seen Luke be contagious and bless others. I've seen the Manly family bless others. So, Father, I pray that we would be encouraged by that as we look at your word this morning, speak to our hearts. Father, I pray that you would, because this story is probably heard several times. I know our children's church just heard it. Lord, I pray that it would be real and active and bring out the things maybe we missed in it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, real quick, let me turn to 2 Samuel. It's usually my uh, opportunity to teach at Advent Sunday. We want it to be kid-friendly, uh, family inviting to come in and have a place where you can serve the body, and not just the body, but our community around us. We have out there, as Margaret said, you'll get an opportunity to to see the different tables that uh, you can actually partake in. And I feel like this lesson really kicks a field goal right to where we should be as the church, the local body of Christ. So turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9, if you're not there. I'll give you a second to get there, 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm not going to read through the whole text. It's uh, 89 verses. Just kidding. If you have your Bible, it's only 13. But um, I'll scare some of you guys. So, Has anybody ever heard this story? Has anybody? Uh, it's got a weird name. Uh, anybody heard the story? Raise your hand if you have. Anybody from the audience want to take a stab at the name? Just shout it out. Not Mickey Mouse, but it starts with an M. Mephibosheth is right. Um, so if I tongue jack it up, whatever you want to call it, forgive me. Um, but you guys already heard the name once, so if you guys said it right, then maybe I'll be able to uh, get it right as well. But we're going to see the story starts out with David being in a place that he remembers a promise that he made to Jonathan. And Jonathan was a dear, dear friend of his. A friend, the scripture says, if you go back, they were knitted together. Knitted means they were like sewed together. It means they were close, blood. if you could think of blood brothers in our day today, you don't just cut yourself and cut somebody else and become blood brothers. There's too many jacked up diseases out there now, right? But, but back in the day when I was little, that was 4,000 years ago, you know, You could do that. You could cut your finger. You could be blood brothers. And Jonathan and David were that tight. They were bros. They had each other's backs. So that's kind of where our story starts. David is reminiscing of his friend, realizing that Jonathan, maybe he's sitting on a horse riding through wherever, and he's thinking these things of his good friend. And the time that he had with them, and they were really tight, knowing that they died in battle. And he's reminiscing, and he says to everyone, is there anybody in the family of Saul, this is verse 1, that I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? 
and he sends out to this guy named Zimba, and he says, summon him to David, and he said, is there anybody out there that I can talk to, that I can show kindness on the behalf of Jonathan, my dear friend, right? He says in verse 3, he says, so the king asked, is there anyone left, anyone left in Saul's family that I can show kindness to? Zimba said, there is one. He's in the house of Jonathan, and he's crippled in both feet. He's injured in both feet. In verse 4, the king says, ask him, where is he? Zimba says, answers, the king, you'll have to find him in Lodabar, at the house of Makar, the son of Aminel. So the king David had him brought from the house of Makar, son of Aminel, from Lodabar. Here in D.C. area, um, I think it's kind of cool because I live in a street where there's a lot of important people. We have important people in our church. I mean, everybody's important, but uh, coming from Texas, I don't, I don't have, I don't have a lot of FBI people or CIA or down the street is the pilot that flies the president in Marine One. So I have all these really important people. And also, not just that, living in D.C. area, I've driven, and maybe the kids have seen this too, you're driving, and then you see a motorcade. You see, like, a bunch of really cool, like, suburbans, all blacked out, driving, like, they're like, they're like a foot from each other, they're just like, they go between lanes, and they're like this, and they stay together. So, I'm, I'm picturing, help me out, since we're kind of like a kid's church. Blacked out, horse carriage. Well, not really, but you know, they're they're going to find this guy because David's heart is to show kindness. If we were to see really what was custom at that time of day, it was customary for the next king to do whatever he wanted to to anybody that was before him. I mean, off with their head. He could kill them, get rid of them. So we see Lodabar and what that means, a place of nothing, a place of dryness, barrenness, a place of destitute. Mephibosheth, I we say that again, he leaves, and if we were to rewind a little bit to the beginning of this chapter, or not this chapter, but this book, in chapter 4, verse 4, it says when he was five years old, because if there was a battle and some war going on, that he left and fled. And the nurse that was taking care of him was running. And she probably got close to the edge and bloop. Oh, no, she dropped him. And when she dropped him, he was crippled in both feet. Mephibosheth, no, Mephibosheth, was crippled in both feet. And he was in Lodabar, which is a place of barrenness. He was fleeing for his life because he knew at any moment King David could kill him because he was an heir of Saul. But because Jonathan was his dear friend, which was Saul's son, he wanted to show him kindness. So he takes this motorcade of donkeys and horses and grabs him and brings him back. And if you can imagine, it was far away. 
this was the other direction from Jerusalem. The low lives, the low scumbags lived there. The people that were running and getting away were in Lodabar. It's time that we ask the question, are we still living in Lodabar? Do we still live in shame? Do we still live in the place where we are being accused, where we are, the accuser is pointing a finger at us that, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I'll never be able to attain that. I'm crippled. I have a crippled guy here today that's a special guest. Can you wave your hand, Mickey? And later, I'm going to have him kind of walk around. He didn't know he was going to do this, but I knew he would if he was here. So um, he broke his ankle, or didn't break it, but he jacked it up, right? All right, and um, he's on crutches. So can he run to first base with crutches? Can you do that? I'm sure he could, but he's going to probably get out. Right? He's, he's got something in the way. What is in the way of us trying to get where we should be? Or are we still living in low to bar where we feel like shame is on top of us? If we were to look at the name of Mephibosheth, what that actually means, it means shameful one. And who would want to name, I was joking why I said Jezebel up here, but would we name our kid Shane? That's my son Trey, and that's my daughter Shane. We just wouldn't do that, right? That's, that's tacky. But when you think of this, Mephibosheth was the name Shane, and what Shane is kind of, not guilt, but I have, I want you to read, I'm going to read this so I don't mess it up. I wrote this down. This was um, from a book, Daring Courageously, and it's, this was the, the definition of shame that this person brought out. It says, shame is intense, intense pain, full feeling, and experience of belief that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. When we think of shame, we might think of at the restaurant when your debit card declines. We might think of someone that's going through infertility. That's a shameful thing. We might think of a students that, uh, uh, I never got asked to go to prom. That's a shameful thing. We might think of, I got divorced. We might think of, just different things in our life that we put this label on us that we are shameful and that we are not worthy to approach the table. But we see that David showed kindness in such a way that he grabbed this motorcade of people to go to the ends of the earth to go find him, as John said, to the highways and the byways. Listen to this verse. He says to go out to the highways and the byways and not just to go there, but to get the lame, the blind, the deaf, the mute, to get them all and bring them in and get them because they cannot pay it forward. Go to them because they can't pay it back. Too many of us think we have the right to sit at a nice table like this and enjoy what's good. We don't have the luxury of thinking, I get the ticket no matter what. But the ticket has been given through Jesus Christ. And in the Old Testament, this is a great picture of grace. And when we think of grace, this is a good acronym. You can think of God's riches at our, I'm sorry, God's riches at Christ's expense. So Christ's expense brought us grace. 
we often think of this passage as I'm going to go fast through here. But we see that Mephibosheth was grabbed and he brought in. And four times in this passage, I don't have time to go through all of them, but I'll just say them real quick for you. In verse, verse 7 is the first one. He says, I will restore to you all the grandfather has taken from Saul. Everything was taken away. I will restore back to everything that Saul owned, Saul owned and all the fields will be always for you, will be taken to you. And then he goes on to say later on, he says, you will always, Mephibosheth will always eat at my table. That's the first one. The second one is this in verse, verse 10. And he says, Mephibosheth, my, the master's grandson is always will eat at my table. Two other times. The next one is really awesome. He went from being in Lodabar, a shameful person, that he says, not just that, but now I'm extending a hand as a son. Not just one at my table, but he says, as one of the king's son, you will always sit at my table. And he says it again at the last verse in 13, and he says this. Whoever Mephibosheth, or wherever Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, because he always ate at the king's table, and his feet had been clean. We know over and over four different times where he went from Lodabar, and I'm sure as he's in that caravan back up to the kingdom, he's thinking, oh great, this is the opportunity that I'm going to get my head cut off. I'm dead. But instead, he tells him, do not fear, for I'm inviting you to my table. I was going to have Mickey come up here, but he doesn't have to because of time. And I wanted you to see Mickey have a hard time walking up the steps. I want you to see the kingdom have this amazing banqueting table. David extended a hand of kindness to Mephibosheth to come to his table daily, all the time, continuously. There was no other place that he had to eat. He didn't have to go eat with the servants but to his table. I want you to close your eyes with me if you want to. You can leave them open if you can imagine. This table is beautiful. Maybe in walks a long, flowing, tall, handsome man, kind of like me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, big, bulging muscles. His name is Absalom. This is one of David's sons. And he walks in. He's like movie star, red carpet, because the scripture says he was gorgeous. And he walks in there and he finds his table in his seat where he's to sit, and he sits down. We might see this beautiful girl, uh, one of David's daughters, Tamar, come in, and she comes in all doing her girly thing, and she sits at her place at the table. We might see Joab, he's one of the generals, he's the general of the army, walk in with Maximus' helmet, you know, he probably takes it off, he's leaving the battlefield, and he comes in to the table, and he's sitting at this Amazing place. In and walks. A hobbling along. Mephibosheth. He's not a kid. He's a grown man with a kid of his own. And now he comes from Lodabar. And now he's in the presence of these mighty men. Amazing people. And he gets to sit there in their presence at the table, even though he's broken in both feet. 
and he sits down at the table. I can imagine everybody's like, right? But I can imagine that's not what happened. What happened was they all knew he was coming. And he sat down, and I bet because he couldn't walk very good, he sits down at the table, and as the tablecloth drapes over his legs, a grace covers his broken feet. It covers his broken shame, and he looks just like everyone else as he sits at this table in the presence of these kings and the mighty men and important people. He's now sitting there just like them. And he might even say, can you someone pass the ranch? You know, and he's sitting there with these people and just partaking in it because David showed me his grace. Questions for today's lesson. Go home. I ask you to pray over this. What is God telling me with it? The one question is this. Who sits at your table? Yes, it's easy as you're driving down the road and say, here's a dollar. It's easy to do whatever and say, oh, yeah, I can help Toys for Tots. Here's a toy in the box. But it's hard to say, I have a seat at your table. Come sit down with me. Come to my table. In the Old Testament, grace is a great picture. We have the New Testament, which is real grace Jesus gave of himself while we were still sinners. But this is a picture of what to come. And we're going to sit in the marriage supper of the Lamb, and now the table's going to be turned. Now maybe it's Peter and Paul and these guys sitting, and here comes the, the important one, Jesus Christ, to the table. And because we've been given that great, great, great gift of grace, We should be going out there to the highways, to the byways, and telling people this amazing grace. What's our problem? It's easy to give a dollar. It's easy to do it on Sunday. Jesus is calling you, and the acronym John's been talking about, BLESS. Who is God calling you to go reach? Who is God calling you to really invite into your home to bless because God's blessed you. I want to take a moment to pray. You can all bow your heads with me. Father God, you are an amazing father. This story is an amazing thing that is a great picture of your grace, what you've done for us. Father, you have invited us to sit at your table and you say that in the presence of our enemies, you lay out this amazing table. Father, I pray that we would ask that question today. Who are we inviting to our table? Because you invited us, your grace was given to us, now we should give it to them. Father, I pray that we would be a people, as we go out into this auditorium in the back here, and we see different ways that we can take a part into our community, that we would really invest into not everything in the world, but one. What is something that we can target? And maybe it's someone in our neighborhood. Maybe it's someone at work that we need to invite into our own home, at our own table, and share the goodness of the Father with them. Because you are good. Thank you, Father, for the grace you've given.